today's show, we're joined by Enzio von Fiel, a capital preservation specialist at Financial Shield. Good morning, Enzio. Morning, you, Nathan. And by Chi Lo, who is senior market strategist for APAC at BMP Paribas Asset Management. Good morning, Chi. Hi, morning. Um, so, we've had quite a bit of news uh, from the Fed overnight, whether it's Michelle Bowman, whether it's been the uh, reports. Um, they've actually started to tone down their stance a little bit um, and seemingly trying to see what's going on with the markets before maybe making further hikes. So is that because the long-dated yields um, are actually starting to do their job for them? Uh, start with you, Enzio, on that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. The 10-year government bond yield is currently at 4.57, whilst the Fed funds are at 5.25. So the long bond yield is doing its job. But let's not forget that the bulk of U.S. mortgages are still priced at about 3%. I don't know, maybe she knows this, when these mortgages will get revised up in their in the interest rate i have i I sadly don't know when that might happen but at present i I do agree that the long bond yields will help alleviate some of the cyclical inflationary pressures not the structural not the secular ones like bad weather leading to rising food prices people not wanting to work leading to rising wage costs um no copper not enough copper for the electrical cars I believe the uh, 30-year mortgages there are quite high at 8%. So, Chu, I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of the the longer yields and how they're playing their role with the Fed? Well, I think certainly the rising long bond yields over the past year, year and a half is doing this job helping uh, the Fed to tighten up and uh, calm down inflation. Uh, and that's why I think the market has now priced in the peak of uh, interest rate hikes or the approaching of a peak. So that's all in the price, I think. What's important to note is that there's still an uncertainty about policy shift that nobody, I probably think that, including the Fed, doesn't really know when they will shift policy. So market expectation now is that uh, probably in the mid, by the middle of next year, uh, second half of the next year, we'll see uh, rate cuts by the Fed because of the uh, U.S. economy slowing. But that is still an uncertainty. And I think that's why uh, we have an interesting development uh, in the U curve uh, in the U.S. at this point. If you look at the two tens Treasury spread, that gap is narrowing, which means that the U curve inversion is reversing. It's been happening for the past few weeks. I think that reflects that long-term inflation expectation is still there and people are still trying to avoid uh, 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 um, um, uh, the, the long end and then try to you know, put money into the short end and so on. So with the uncertainty about policy shift, uh, the, I think short-term we will still continue to see yields go up uh, before they really plateau and, and come down uh, sometime next year. Okay. I mean, everyone's talking about interest rates being high, um, but I think listeners are probably bored of me saying it all the time because they hear it all the time, is that if you actually look at a historical basis, interest rates are not high. Mm. I mean, if you look at 80s and 90s, um, even early 2000s, interest rates were a lot higher. I mean, in the 80s, they were at double digits. So can you envisage a time of us going back to that? Um, And again, I'll start with you, Enzio, on that. Very good historical analysis. Let's not forget that in 1973, at least I go back to that, I don't know about the two of you, um, that the oil price was hiked by the Arabs very, very strongly, and that then led, inter alia, to a 19 
6% Fed funds hike. So, yes, the interest rates have been much higher previously. I prefer to look at things relative to the past history in the shorter term, which goes to say that with the Fed funds now 5.25, 5.5, that's a lot more than where they were a couple of years ago. And I think that's the name of the game. It's not actually the absolute level. It's the relative level relative to more recent history that I think counts. I think that's what's going to bite the economy going forward if, if the economy still works as we old fogey economists still think it does with rising rates cutting demand. Um, but Chi, hasn't Japan taught us that having low interest rates for a long time is not necessarily beneficial to the economy? Well, the, the case of Japan is quite unique because it's fallen into a balance sheet recession since the asset bubble burst in the 1990s, and I still don't think that they've climbed out of that balance sheet recession. Uh, so I think it's not very fair to compare the world, the U.S. or whatever, uh, with Japan because the situation is quite different. Uh, certainly, you know, with uh, interest rate capped at zero, I mean, the VOJ is still implementing uh, the, the zero interest rate policy, and the yield curve control uh, is still there. Um, it, it shows that. You know, flooding the system with money without doing anything else is not necessarily uh, beneficial for, for the economy because you, you look at Japanese growth, uh, it's been stuck at around zero, plus and minus one or, or one and a half percent for 30 years. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I don't think I, I, I want to compare today with uh, Japan's situation. And, you know, the, the point for the market is that when the Fed is going to uh, cut rates. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the expectation is that sometime uh, middle or late uh, next year, depending on, on inflation. And you know, indeed, we do have some near-term inflation rate pressures that could actually delay that expectation of rate cuts uh, further uh, later in the, in the next year. Okay. Um, and what about you, Anzio? What are your thoughts in terms of can Japan be a barometer? Or do you agree with Chi that it's really no barometer because it's a completely different scenario? I agree with with Xi that it is it's it's because of the balance sheet recession. Also, frankly, because the old guys running Japan just wouldn't change the way that they were thinking. And I think that the demographics, the the new crowd coming in in Japan, very slowly beginning to fill the top C-suite, is going to bring mental mindset changes to Japan. That's why I think it's quite a, a good. Story. I would say at the same time that what Japan is going through, trying to flood the system with money and going nowhere in a hurry, that's also kind of what we're seeing in China, which is trying to affect all sorts of stimuli, but not really getting a grip on the economic growth. And that's because the private sector isn't being allowed to create the 80% of all the jobs which gets created in China by itself, by the private sector. The private sector is hamstrung, and so it can't do what it's supposed to do, which is to create jobs where there's real demand for jobs. And that's going to, so they can flood and stimulate as much as they want. They're also going to go nowhere in a hurry until this mindset has changed in China, I believe. And I'm, I'm not the only one who says this. Well, you segued great into uh, the next topic, I guess. Um, so, Chi, China. Um, as NCA just said, the similar have not really been working. Um, private sector companies still seem to lack a lot of confidence and are worried about what potential issues they could face if they actually grow. Um, and then we've also got the property sector. So what's your overall view over there? I don't think that China's stimulus policy is not working. Uh, what the problem is that they have not stimulated enough. 
I mean, we've not seen Beijing come in with massive reflation as it did in the past cycles. From a policy perspective, I think I can understand why they do that because uh, at the top of the, the leadership's head, they still want to push through debt reduction, structural reform, and give up on fast growth uh, as a cost to in, uh, improve growth quality through you know reform and uh, development and so on. And that's why I think the authorities have been very timid in you know, easing policy. That is the problem. And it is quite true that the biggest drag on the economy is the loss of confidence. The private sector, the consumers, and then everybody else except the, the government uh, sector there. So without, in, uh, without sufficient reflation, confidence cannot come back easily. And if Beijing still doesn't move, uh, move forward with more forceful reflation, I think we, uh, we could see a Chinese economy stuck in the doldrums, not really crushing in terms of growth, but you know, very slow growth between 4 and 5%, which the markets won't like. But probably the authorities will like because that is like a kind of a steady state uh, situation that doesn't give them the inflation problem, but at the same time give them some economic pains to push through the structural changes that they want to push through. So from an investor perspective, uh, what, we do, what we do not want to see is Beijing keeping its so-called incremental uh, easing, which is not effective. And the point about that is it is not sufficient to, to push the economy. Uh, and we've been arguing and hoping that uh, Beijing will come in with more forceful uh, easing, which, you know, it seems that it, it's, it started doing it about a month ago. So let's see. Okay. And NCA, I mean, it's rumoured that Beijing will actually start increasing their deficit in order to stimulate yeah. and get um, hit their growth targets. Will that act as something that could provide reflation? Um, what can they really do? Again, I don't think it's, I don't, I'll have to differ with, with my colleague Xi. I don't really think that any of this reflating stuff is going to help until the mindset at the top says we want the private sector to create the employment. We are not going to try and tell the market what it should be wanting. We will let the market decide what it itself wants. Indeed, the key issue in China is the underlying political side of the unemployment rate, and as we all know, and our listeners know, they're not even producing the numbers for the youth unemployment, which were, in, when we were still getting the numbers, around 20%. So that is telling you something about conspicuous in its absence kind of stuff. And I think that what they have to do, again, just to go on like a broken record about this, is to really allow the private sector to reinstill confidence. For instance, the detaining of foreign businessmen in China doesn't exactly make for, for foreigners wanting to go to China and do business there. It just doesn't work. The um, throttling of some of the sectors in China doesn't help. I get that the, that the Beijing government is very angry with, the, with some of the property developers having really, frankly, maltreated the system and really gained it too much and very avariciously but at the same time, I think there's a happy medium that can be reached. So one has a happy medium of some stimulus, absolutely, and some reforms. And mainly the reforms, though, are at the top to get growth going again, to allow growth to go on a demand-driven basis. Okay. Um, we've got well, about... Let me, let me quickly follow oh, Sorry. Up. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, quick, go, go. Up. I think we all agree that the loss of confidence in, in China is the key problem here. Yeah. Uh, what I what I don't agree uh, with uh, NCO's point uh, earlier is that 
Uh, yes, we need to see confidence come back, but the private sector consumers' confidence will not come back by themselves. It needs something to get to trigger them to come back. This is a, a classical situation of liquidity trap with loss of confidence. And if you just go back to you know what we learned from school, and there's a very standard, easy answer to that, and that is that when the private sector doesn't work, the market doesn't work, liquidity is trapped in the system, the government has to come in to provide that trigger to pull things up. So that, that's my point about you know, Beijing needs to be more forceful uh, yeah. in, in reflation in order to provide, provide that trigger. NCA, I'll give you your last 30 seconds as, as a repast. No, I, I think I, I'm not an either-or guy. I think that I think that she is absolutely right that you need to put more, for instance, more money into the system and still more confidence. But again, I'm not going to totally let go of my point that until the private sector is allowed to really get more free reign, probably on a more regulated basis, I think that a lot of these stimuli will be less effective than they could be otherwise with a Deng-style economy coming back. That's my only point. Okay, Chi, anything in the last five seconds? Uh, I agree. Uh, yeah, we, China needs to liberalize uh, the, the private sector more, but that, that's more of a structural policy long yeah. term. Uh, medium, short term, we just need the, the debt trigger from the, uh, the macro policy expansion. Yeah. All right. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. That was a very interesting discussion. And I really do want to thank both Enzio von Field, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and Chi Lo, who's Senior Market Strategist of APEC, uh, for APAC at BNP Paribas Asset Management for coming in. Thank you, guys.